You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. We begin with that murder mystery gripping the nation tonight. The location of two BC teens. Fugitives charged in the murder of one man and suspects in the homicides of two others. Tonight, the focus of the search remains in northern Manitoba, where there is a heavy police presence. Rumina Dea has the latest from RCMP, including the confirmed sightings in that area. Gillam, Manitoba, ground zero for the nationwide manhunt of two BC teen murder suspects. Heavily armed officers, crisis negotiators and tactical assault equipment from across Western Canada deployed to this remote, rugged town in the northern reaches of the province. So the search for Cam McLeod and Briar Schmigelski continues. And we can now confirm that there have been two established and corroborated sightings of the suspects in the Gillam area. The fugitives, 19 and 18, spotted prior to the discovery of their burned-out getaway vehicle, found in the bush Monday. Police believe the teens are still in the area, but where? This is a large area. Um, it's very, there's lots of dense bush, forests, swampy areas, so it is very challenging. No reports of stolen vehicles, so could the suspects be on foot? Surviving this wild country, wolves, bears and bugs like you've never seen will be a struggle, say local outdoorsmen. Why would you come to the, to the dead-end corner of the world? It's the perfect place to get caught. In my opinion. Briar Schmigelski and Cam McLeod now facing second-degree murder charges in the death of Leonard Dick of Vancouver. The 64-year-old's body found Friday in northern BC, two kilometers from the suspect's first burned-out vehicle. No charges, however, in the shooting deaths of international tourists Lucas Fowler and his girlfriend China Deese. Check stops continue on the only road leading into Gillam. Residents remain on high alert, doors locked, prepared but anxious. You would see a lot of kids with their bikes, a group of friends always hanging out. You'll be hearing laughter by now or playing, having them play in the sand and even parents walking with their kids. And it's just we haven't seen that in the last couple of days. And Rumina Dea is live in our newsroom tonight. Rumina, what is the RCMP saying about tips from the public? Sophie, RCMP have received more than 80 tips over the last 48 hours. Everyone is being investigated, they say. Now, as a result, police have conducted thorough searches of potential areas of interest. They are not going into details. The suspects, again, considered armed and dangerous. Police warning the public not to approach. Call 911 or local police. Sophie. All right, thanks for that. Ramina Dea reporting live tonight. Family and friends of Leonard Dick, the Vancouver man now identified as the third victim in the northern B.C. homicides, are struggling to understand this senseless tragedy. John Hua has more on what we're learning about Dick and how he's being remembered tonight. The community here at the University of British Columbia is devastated as news spreads of the tragic death of Leonard Dick better known as Len. He was a sessional lecturer here at the Department of Botany. And while his colleagues did not want to speak on camera, they say they're in complete shock, having lost a brilliant scientist and a wonderful educator. The family of the 64-year-old Vancouver man asking for privacy at this time, writing in a statement, we are truly heartbroken by the sudden and tragic loss of Len. He was a loving husband and father. 
His death has created unthinkable grief, and we are struggling to understand what has happened. The UBC Department of Botany created a special in-memoriam page to mark the tragedy, along with this statement. The UBC community is shocked and saddened by this news, and we offer our deepest condolences to his family, friends, and colleagues at the university. Dick's body was found on July 19th at a highway pullout in the Dees Lake area. RCMP have charged Cam McLeod and Briar Schmigelski with second-degree murder in connection with his death. And just to show the range of emotions being felt by the friends and colleagues of Leonard Dick, one person wrote on social media, I'm incredibly grateful to have gotten to know him even a bit and furious that his time was cut short. John Hua, Global News. The Integrated Homicide Investigation Team is asking for the public's help to identify a key witness to a fatal stabbing on a Richmond bus. Take a look. IHIT believes this woman is potentially a crucial witness, and they would like to speak with her. A 42-year-old Richmond man died after being stabbed during an argument on a Coast Mountain bus on Tuesday. A 22-year-old man who was arrested at the scene has since been released as the investigation continues. Anyone with information is asked to call IHIT. Vancouver police investigating a hit, a hit and run involving a cyclist. The cyclist was struck in downtown Vancouver at Pender and Granville shortly before 2 this afternoon. The woman was taken to hospital with non-life-threatening injuries. Police say while the driver left the car at the scene, they took off along with their passenger. No, we know who the driver is. Uh, it, it, was a, it was very obviously a hit and run and the driver had to know. Um, we do know who the driver is because the vehicle remained on scene and we've been able to identify that driver. So it's just a matter of time before we, we track that person down. Fortunately, in this case, the cyclist was wearing a helmet. I'm told the helmet was actually broken in half, so it's quite likely that the helmet did save this cyclist from a very serious injury. Driver shortages could mean ride hailing will only be operating in Metro Vancouver. That's partially due to the province's requirement that drivers will need a Class 4 license, and that can take time to obtain. Jill Bennett now on why Uber is urging would-be drivers to get signed up. We're, we're trying to attract as many as possible because we expect that we'll be needing in the thousands. Uber needs thousands of British Columbians to show interest in becoming an Uber driver. Otherwise, it might have to put the brakes on any plans to operate in this province. So yesterday morning, Uber sent an email out to tens of thousands of British Columbians encouraging them to get a Class 4 license because the province has set that as a requirement for ride sharing. A Class 4 license requires an additional knowledge test, road test and medical exam. According to ICBC numbers from 2018, 55.7% passed the road test on the first try, higher than the 51.5 that passed in Class 5. But in the knowledge test for Class for just 39.2% passed the first time, compared to 50.9% for Class 5. There's over 300 pages of material, the vast majority of which is about driving a bus, not about driving a normal personal vehicle uh, to move passengers. But the BC government hasn't budged on the Class 4 issue. Neither has the BC Taxi Association. It's a good idea for the government because they saw uh, the mistakes which was made at other places in Canada and the uh, rest of the world. So the Class 4 license hasn't been shown through data to increase safety, but what it has been shown to do is it has been shown to really discourage people from participating 
in taxi driving or in ride sharing. Uber is hopeful people in BC won't be discouraged. As for the wait time to take the class four road test, ICBC says there are multiple appointments available within the next 20 to 30 days throughout the province. Jill Bennett, Global News. The Mayor's Council has voted to move forward on the proposed Surrey to Langley Skytrain project. The 10-year vision would see the line run from King George to Langley City. But as Ted Chernecki reports, right now available funding leaves them a little short. And they're going to need some help getting to the end of the line. In favour? With that, the Mayor's Council voted to not only build the seven-kilometer-long Skytrain extension from Surrey to Fleetwood, it committed itself to finding another $1.9 billion to finish the line someday all the way to Langley. This vote by the Mayor's Council today, in my view, is the green light to continue all of the business case planning that we've been doing. Light rail transit is cost-effective. Those seven kilometers to Fleetwood will be paid with $1.65 billion already in place for the now-canceled light rail project in Surrey. Beyond that, it's unclear where the mayors will find the money to finish the line to Langley, but Surrey's mayor assures everyone that it won't be found at the expense of other transit projects. You're thinking that maybe your projects in the 10-year plan would, would not happen because um, the money may be going to other projects. That's not going to happen. But it was McCollum who said during the election campaign that SkyTrain to Langley could be built for half the price of what he now agrees will be $3.2 billion. Westbound traffic heavy coming out of the cast yard. The so perhaps it isn't surprising other mayors don't believe the Langley line won't swallow up all sorts of money earmarked for other bottlenecks like this morning's 13-kilometer-long traffic jam on the Iron Workers Memorial Bridge to North Vancouver. We sit behind six and seven kilometers of traffic on a daily basis coming to or from the North Shore over the, over the Second North Bridge. Whether all the planned new B-line services and other improvements actually happen remains to be seen, but the council is determined to fix congestion by uncorking one bottleneck at a time. Whether it's uh, uh, the mayors around the table or residents actually put on that regional cap and recognize that investments uh, in, in public transit into different parts of our region is something that is benefiting the entire transit system. The big if is if another almost $2 billion can't be found, Fleetwood Station could be the end of the line for years. Ted Chernecki, Global News. A gondola up Burnaby Mountain is also one step closer to reality today. The Mayor's Council voting unanimously to move forward on public consultation. A gondola ascending the most direct route would take about six minutes. Estimated cost, around $200 million. And TransLink would need federal and provincial funding to make it fly. We're very excited by the decision by the Mayor's Council today. Obviously, it reaffirms what we've seen through Burnaby City Council, which is that, yes, we need to move forward to the next steps for this project. All those and now favor? that we've seen the Mayor's Council support it, it's really nice to see this uh, real official steps being taken for the future. And we think SFU students and university residents have a lot to look forward to going forward. Well, when it comes to the future of commuting, one avenue that's gaining in popularity is e-scooters. And while they're green and cheaper than many of the alternatives, they are currently illegal in B.C. Jennifer Palma tells us why and which cities are hoping to change that. It's an easy way to get around. An electric scooter. Hundreds are in Vancouver alone. 
crowd and their popularity is increasing, especially with 35 to 60 year olds. Over the past year, business has gone up at least 30 percent. Olivia Yao with Urban Makina sells the electric scooters that range in price from $1,100 to $2,600 and can go up to 45 kilometers an hour. People want them for all kinds of reasons. For others that you know might have a little bit of difficulty walking, but they don't need an actual mobility scooter, so this serves as something in between. And then some just want to have fun. <laughs> but there's just one problem. You can only use electric scooters on private land, and if you're caught on one on public roadways, you could be fined. $598. They can be used on private property, so if somebody has one, they're allowed to own them, but they're not insurable, they're not allowed on city streets, not allowed on bike lanes, not allowed on the seawall. Hoverboards aren't allowed either. Andrew Cote uses his to commute to work. I mean, I use about 10 cents of electricity for my commute versus however much in gas, at least $2, so it's pretty good that way. Hey, let's unlock this. But how about scooter sharing? There's an app for that. Bunny Scooters isn't operating in the Lower Mainland, but it is, along with several other companies, being allowed in Kelowna, launching this weekend in a pilot project. They're allowing us to operate within their own designated bike paths in a certain corridor of the downtown core. Both Kelowna and Victoria have written the province about alternative modes of transportation. The province, like the city, wants to encourage people to use uh, all different modes to move around and, quite frankly, get people out of cars. The province says it's looking at updating the Motor Vehicle Act while maintaining safety. However, it's something that can't come soon enough for commuters looking to avoid traffic gridlock and getting on with their lives. Jennifer Palma, Global News. The provincial government is looking for public input on ways we can reduce the amount of plastic that ends up in our environment. The focus is on four areas. Bans on single-use packaging, how to keep plastics out of our landfills, and waterways, expanding beverage container returns, finding ways we can reduce plastic waste overall, and making sure pl recycled plastic is reused effectively. We see it on the streets, we see it in the forest, we see it in the ocean, we see it on the ground, plastic bags, single-use plastics, marine debris. It's one of the most pressing and high-profile environmental issues we're facing, and people of BC and other jurisdictions around the world want governments to act and to act soon. Well, if you want to weigh in, you have until September 18th to comment on the recommendations, and you can do so online at cleanbc.ca slash plastics. Right now, though, a special reunion tonight involving a member of Coquitlam Search and Rescue who has saved countless lives. But this meeting was thanks to another search specialist called in when the SAR volunteer's puppy bolted after a car accident. Jordan Armstrong explains where the dog was found after three long weeks and the surprise twist. Traumatized but alive, Maisie's 21-day forest adventure ended Wednesday when she was found by a municipal crew near the West Vancouver Works Yard on Cypress Bowl Road. She was really excited. We were really afraid that she might not know us after being free and feral for three weeks. I was afraid, uh, you, you know, as this was unfolding yesterday, I was thinking I was going to wake up and realize that it was, a, it was a dream. The nightmare for Gary Mansell began July 3rd. He was driving with his lab Coonhound Cross on the Upper Levels Highway when he crashed near the Caulfield exit. He and Maisie were okay, but terrified by the impact, she bolted. 
And of course, I'm chasing her, calling her name, um, which is, uh, as I've now learned, just scares her even more. A veteran search and rescue volunteer, Mansell knows how to find people alive in the wilderness. But searching for a six-month-old dog was something completely different. He turned to Canine Valley, a dog education company, for help. In order to find a dog, you need to think like a dog. And we're very different than humans. Posters were put up all over the North Shore, with the search turning up sightings of six other lost dogs, similar to Maisie. She was probably still out there, and objectively, we were probably going to get her. But uh, it's, it's hard to accept that. But here she is, 10 kilograms lighter and with a new leash on life, Maisie is heading home. And the Mansell's emotional roller coaster ride is finally over. A great feeling and a lot of gratitude. A lot of gratitude for a lot of people that cared. Jordan Armstrong, Global News. And North Shore Rescue showing off the latest tool in its kit today. The RECO SAR helicopter detector will help crews search for missing people in the outdoors year-round. Whether it's someone buried in an avalanche or missing in the woods, the detector sends out a cone-like search signal, which is returned by the RECO reflector located on the subject. I think the big challenge we face now is we need people um, out there to have reflectors on them. Um, it's typically it's in pro apparel um, and it's usually those people that don't go and get lost so I'm really excited to see uh, MEC and Arteryx here today and I really hope that we can get uh, these reflectors out in a lot more gear. The detector can scan the area beneath the helicopter with a corridor up to 100 meters wide. Well, if you're buying an airline ticket with a Canadian carrier for a domestic flight, you would assume your bill would be in Canadian dollars. But that's not always the case. Sean O'Shea has another reason why it always pays to read the fine print. I was looking for the best deal I could. Kelly Wisnowski of Winnipeg, like a lot of Canadian flyers, price shopping for the lowest fares traveling within Canada paying more than necessary. It wouldn't make any sense. She shopped online for a trip later this month and focused on the official aircanada.com website. Wisnowski booked the return trip from Winnipeg to Kelowna, British Columbia. She considered this a good deal to fly west and back home. Total price, $382. Air Canada had the best deal at $382. But it turns out that $382 wasn't such a great price after all because little did she know it was charged in American dollars. That 382 American was much more with the exchange. It cost her $512 Canadian. A $130 difference. She contacted Air Canada, which denied responsibility, telling her, it appears you were unknowingly on the U.S. edition of our website, saying web browsers sometimes bounce users to the U.S. edition, concluding it was prepared to offer you a one-time discount of 10% off the base fare on your next booking. Recently, Global News has heard from others with the same issue. And back in 2015, we reported the story of Maureen Gordon. They had charged me U.S. dollars instead of Canadian dollars. At the time, one tech expert told us the airline made a mistake, not the customer. It should never happen to anyone. It's, it's basic website design 101 that sites should know where you're coming in from. Wisnowski didn't immediately review the confirmation receipt. If she'd looked closely, she would have seen the words U.S. dollars on the bottom 
and she would have had 24 hours to cancel the booking without penalty. Me being Canadian and it being um, a Canadian flight, um, U.S. never even entered my mind. But just because you're booking in Canada for a flight within Canada, it's possible the airline will charge you in another currency, meaning that deal you see may not be as good as you think. Sean O'Shea, Global News, Toronto. And at the airport, dramatic video shows a toddler going on a wild ride through a luggage conveyor belt at an airport in Atlanta on Monday. Airport security footage shows the two-year-old boy, Lorenzo, crawling over bags, trying to avoid being pulled through a screening machine. But he's eventually pulled through a rubber curtain. He pops out on the other side, only to tumble down into a room where he's finally caught by TSA workers. The boy fractured his hand during the ordeal. Mom had put him down in order to print off their boarding passes. But then he accessed the baggage belt through a ticket counter that was not open at the time. Spirit Airlines estimates it was less than 30 seconds from when the child was at the kiosk until he got onto that belt. Police were finally able to catch up with the prime suspect in a 12-hour deadly rampage in Los Angeles's San Fernando Valley today. Authorities are still trying to figure out what might have triggered Jerry Dean Zaragoza in the attacks. The 26-year-old was arrested in connection with the shooting deaths of four people at three different crime scenes. As Molly Hunter reports, the suspect's father and brother are among those killed. Tonight, the suspect is now in custody after a deadly shooting spree across Los Angeles. He is armed with a 9mm high-point semi-auto. Here we go, they're searching. Dramatic video shows SWAT teams closing in, later capturing 26-year-old Jerry Dean Zaragoza. Overnight, police say Zaragoza went to an apartment in the San Fernando Valley, shooting and killing his brother and father and wounding his mother. I just saw police just raiding the building next to me, and I just saw like 10 police officers with guns, like rifles and handguns just going crazy. Hours later at a gas station in North Hollywood, he shot two people, killing his girlfriend, leaving the other person in critical condition. On the run from there, he attempted to rob someone at an ATM. Then police say the same man boarded a bus nearby shooting a six-person at close range, even asking people for clothes as he ran. Police have now confirmed the person shot on the bus has now died. After that shooting, police tracked down the suspect walking on a nearby street. Authorities took him down by tasering him. Police now seeking to question Zaragoza in connection with at least four murders across the San Fernando Valley. In Health Matters tonight, video game makers have only been held back by their own imaginations when it comes to creating compelling games. Now a, locally, a local internationally renowned gaming company is trying to get more people in the game, no matter their physical abilities. Linda Aylesworth reports. There are two billion gamers around the world. Among them, people like Omar Alazawi. Since I was a kid, I was like uh, playing in, PS4, in PS1 and PS2, PlayStation and... Uh, even Nintendo, and I was like obsessed with gaming. Back then, he played like most, his adept fingers in command of the controller. But when an accident in 2010 left him paralyzed, the games abruptly ended, until he linked up with the Neil Squire Society. And they introduced me to a new way of thinking to find a new solutions. Simple buttons, joysticks, and options that I wasn't actually think of. Oh. I scored on myself. Yeah, because it's like after the second. That's not so good. Yeah. He learned about a whole world of technological innovations, including one that allowed him to play games again. Direction is right, right, left, left. 
up and down is the same the one you use it with your thumb. Now the Neil Squire Society has teamed up with one of the largest gaming companies in the world, Electronic Arts in Burnaby, to make adaptive gaming devices during their Build-A-Thon event. Here's all the parts here. Here's all our instructions. 150 Electronic Arts staff volunteered their time to make a variety of adaptive devices for a fraction of the price it would cost to buy them. They're sponsoring all the bills today, so everything that's being made by these volunteers will go for free to people with disabilities that need them. Providing accessibility into our games is, is a very important part of being inclusive and enabling everyone to enjoy our entertainment. Whatever the challenge is, we can find the right tools for it to pass the barriers, and that's the actually goal. Linda Aylesworth, Global News. Locals and tourists alike headed into the fountains in front of the Eiffel Tower in Paris today as they tried to find relief from the sweltering heat. The mercury soaring to 42.6 Celsius today, beating the previous record of 40.4 set back in 1947. More than 20 other regions in France have also been placed on the highest red heat wave alert. Last month, France registered a record temperature of 46 degrees. Fortunately, it is expected to cool off tomorrow, somewhat. Well, temperatures here are nothing like what Europe and eastern Canada are seeing right now, but the forecast is calling for a sunny, drier stretch of weather. Aaron MacArthur has a reminder of the wildfire hazard in some communities and tips on how to adapt to the risk. That means when you have a ground fire, it's not going to carry up into the trees. Kimberly Fire Chief Rick Prasad is happy with the work that's been done to reduce fuel loads near homes in his community. There's more to do. But after a few years of direct management, the situation this summer, much better than it's been. So three years ago, this area, you could barely see about 20 to 30 feet in. The provincial government is reminding homeowners across the province that everyone has a role to play to reduce the risk of wildfire program called Fire Smart offers tips to people on how to make homes and properties more resilient. Trimming trees and removing all flammable material from within 1.5 meters of homes could go a long way to help prevent unnecessary loss during fires when they eventually hit. The information and the evidence is there that um, it does make an impact. Um, you know, saving your property if you do take some small and simple steps to fire smart your properties. The province has been faced with billions of dollars in extra firefighting costs over the last two seasons. Forest ecologist Robert Gray says the government needs to spend hundreds of millions of dollars up front to reduce the long-term risk. We spend a lot of money on seismic upgrades and flood mitigation, but we don't spend near enough on wildfire, and most of our wildfire spending is on response and recovery. Despite what seemed like a cooler-than-normal July, the fire risk has nowhere to go but up. The District of North Vancouver has brought in specific tools to be more aggressive when interface fires do happen. The trailer itself, the SPU, would have a number of different sprinklers on it, so we could set up a sprinkler protection curtain which would change the humidity of an area for about 25 to 30 homes. Wildfire is everyone's responsibility. And while homeowners do have a role to play, the bigger question is whether governments are ready to step up before another fire season spirals out of control. Aaron MacArthur, Global News. Well, it's been relatively quiet on the fire front so far this year. Knock on wood, Christy. Mm -hmm. Knock on wood, so to speak. Uh, but it is uh, heating up for sure over the next few days. 
Yes, and so uh, officials are actually trying to be proactive and they've put in another campfire, sorry, an open fire ban, which I'm going to explain for you in a second. That will be in place as of Monday. First, though, the temperatures for today, this was the range 24 to 29 degrees, but there was enough humidity out there that that increased these numbers by a good two to three degrees. And that was the feels like uh, temperature or the humidex levels. A hotspot across Canada was in a Soyuz today at actually 30. 9 degrees exactly. Uh, it is hot right across the province. Now, over the next 24 to 48 hours, we're expecting rainfall, but the bulk of it across northern Vancouver Island, central coast and northern coast. Then it will track it further inland, affecting south coast regions as well, including the lower mainland. So although we've got this stretch of dry weather on the way, some parts of the lower mainland will see a brief period of rain, but it won't disturb your day tomorrow, everyone. Mostly dry through a Friday. This is at 9 p.m. It's not until likely after 10 p.m. that that rain rolls in and it will be mostly in the northeast metro Vancouver region out through the Fraser Valley happening while you're asleep but we'll still see a few showers in the morning on Saturday but we should be back to sunshine and heat quite quickly on Saturday and through the rest of the next several days. There's the fire danger rating just to give you perspective. Now that we've had the dry weather things have really uh, heightened and we'll continue to see that trend so no fires larger than a campfire all across southern BC and as of Monday at noon they all the caribou region will now be included in that as well so here's your forecast all of the rain across the north and central coast mostly sunny and hot through southern BC northern Vancouver Island will see periods of rain our region won't see it until overnight Friday into our Saturday morning looking dry and nice for everyone trying to get out and enjoy the fireworks so Oh, yes. Fireworks begin once again. All right. Thanks very much, Christy. A French aviation buff remains undeterred despite the fact the airborne hoverboard he invented crashed into the sea today. Frankie Zapata took off to cross the English Channel from a French coastal town, hoping to make it over to Dover, England. He was propelled by a a power pack full of kerosene and planned to refuel from a boat partway across, but he collided with the boat when he descended to refuel. The 40-year-old says he plans to build a new board and try again, possibly within days. Today's flight coincided with the 110th anniversary of the first flight across the channel by French aviator Louis Blériot. I mean, it looks cool. Mm -hmm. It sure does. Look at James Bond chase scene. <laughs> that probably has happened <laughs> or something involving it? Tom Cruise yeah. Yeah. something like that what is happening why what's happening the, I tell you with the white caps and lions it's it's a cruel summer it's just it's, it's been cruel the Bananarama song Bananarama <laughs> leaving I, me here I believe own. that's who they were writing about if you listen to the <laughs> lyrics closely it makes a lot of sense Thanks, Sophie. The uh, Whitecaps may have reached an all-time low point in their eight-year MLS existence last night at BC Place. They lost 2-1 on their home field to Cavalry FC, a team from the Canadian Premier League, which is two full tiers below Major League Soccer. The loss not only knocked Vancouver out of the Canadian Championships, but it was another sobering reminder how far away they are from being a quality soccer club. 
that's it. For the first time, a Canadian Premier League side has defeated a club team from Major League Soccer. Yes, the Whitecaps have made history, the kind you look back and say that was the low point. At least that's what they're hoping. The Caps dominated most of the match, but their inability to score was laughable at times. Even their coach was beyond exasperated. It was a night that I, I feel that we could have stayed there another another two hours and it would have been difficult to score. We missed some empty goals that are almost more difficult to miss than, than uh, to score. The Whitecaps were playing fairly well about six weeks ago, but since then it's been a free fall. It's exposed the severe lack of scoring finish up front and the trickle-down effect throughout the lineup. There's a lack right now of, uh, of quality in our last third, and if we don't score uh, enough goals, our defense has to be perfect. And as soon as we concede one goal, um, it's like a mountain for us right now. And right now, the Caps have tumbled all the way down the mountain, and it's a long climb back. But maybe this embarrassment will make ownership as passionate about winning as their coach. We need to become better, not only uh, on the field, but also on, uh, on what's next for our club. This is, it sucks that I'm saying that, but I know why I'm saying that. This is probably a very good moment for our club. Hmm. Now, both the Whitecaps and Lions have been keeping their sports psychologists busy over the past couple of months. Losing, and especially losing badly, is hard on the mind for a professional athlete. They are paid to win, yet at the same time, they're human beings. They get down in the dumps like everybody. But the bottom line is they have to figure a way to snap out of it. And for the Lions, that starts in practice. The reality is it's difficult, but you have to approach practice every week with that same intensity with the idea that you're going to go out there and, and compete to win. And that's the way we've been approaching practice. And it was actually good that we had the energy up and guys are a little rowdy. Guys are eager to win. And that's one of the things we're harping on is working harder and pushing ourselves a little bit more, doing that, taking that extra step so that when it comes game time, it makes it easier. We just have to put everything together collectively as a group and we'll win this game. It's a fine balance between um, obviously staying focused and, and making sure that you're working to improve on the things that, that you haven't done well enough so far to win football games. Um, you know, but at the same time, you want guys to stay positive and believe in the process and believe in each other. Um, you know, it's, so it's a balancing act, of course. It can only get better, right? Uh, CFL tonight, Stamps and Red Blacks from Ottawa. Former Lion Jonathan Jennings threw for 45 yards last week in a loss. Not a good start again. Second pick of the first quarter. Ottawa fans not impressed. Ottawa kicker Lewis Ward. This is a surprising stat. This field goal is his 64th straight during the regular season. He did miss one in the Grey Cup uh, last year, but 64 straight in a regular season. That's impressive. Fourth quarter, Jennings finally with success. Hits Brad Sinopoli for the touchdown. 16-12 Ottawa late in the fourth. Memphis is the site of the FedEx St. Jude. It's a World Golf Championship event this season. Just a field of 63. No Tiger Woods. The only Canadian, Corey Connors, who won his first event on the PGA Tour a couple of months ago. Beautiful shot here in the par three. He shot a three under 67. He's tied for 13th, a good first round. Everyone is chasing the big Spaniard, John Rahm, out of the deep rough. But 
That's why these guys are so good. Even out of that lie, beautiful shot led to a birdie, gets to six under, and then on the par three, eighth, Rom rolls in a 15-footer for birdie, eight under 62. He had 23 putts the entire round. He's got a three-shot lead after round one. And the LPGA is in France for a major. The Evian Championships, Canada's Brooke Henderson, currently second in the season standings. Already has two wins this year, but didn't have a great start. Makes this seven-footer here to save bogey. One over 72, tied 52nd, eight shots behind leader Paula Kramer, but still a long way to go in France. And Canada continues to impress at the World Aquatic Championships in South Korea. Today, our women found the podium yet again in the 4x200 freestyle relay. Australia set a world record taking gold, edging out the Americans. Canada at the bottom of the screen in lane 7 won bronze. Kelowna's Taylor Ruck and Vancouver's Emily Overholt, part of the winning team. Canada has two gold, two silver, four bronze. They're eighth in the medal standings. That's their best showing in a long, long time. Yeah, doing well in the pool. All right. Mm -hmm. Thanks, Barry. Let's check in with Jada Rant now for a look ahead to Global News at 11. Thank you, Sophie. We will, of course, have the very latest on the nationwide manhunt for two B.C. teens who are suspects in three murders in northern B.C., plus another warm-weather warning for outdoor enthusiasts. Central Fraser Valley Search and Rescue called out this afternoon to assist in the rescue of a man who fell over a waterfall near Davis Lake Provincial Park. And Surrey RCMP having some fun on social media, tweeting that officers noted this young driver committing a couple of traffic offenses today. But she was left off with just a warning. I don't think speeding was one of them. Those things don't go very fast. Distracted driving. Maybe. That could be. Okay. Thanks, J.D. Video of an eight-year-old Whitby, Ontario baseball player making some extraordinary plays has gone viral. As Erin Streck reports, she's letting her performance silence the naysayers who suggest girls should stick to softball. To say eight-year-old Ashlyn Jolliker loves baseball is an understatement. One of six kids in her family, she grew up around the diamond. She always wants to play. In winter, summer, fall, whatever it is, she's practicing in the basement by herself, or when I get home from work, she wants to go out to the diamond all the time. And she's already making a name for herself. Smashlin, when she's at bat. And Flashlin, in the field. She's intense, she's skilled, she's knowledgeable. She's passionate. She is our hardest working player, the hardest working player I've coached. She's 100% hustle, laying out for balls and loving the game, having fun. That passion and hustle on full display in this video that now has over 4.7 million views. It was taken earlier this year. I didn't know I was going to make this catches. <laughs> I just dove and I caught it. She deserves every view, every like. There are 70 girls registered in Whitby Baseball. Ashlyn is the only girl on her team and the only girl in her division. This video posted by Baseball for All was in response to a comment a parent made to her that girls shouldn't play the game. There's no difference. All she said after this happened, she wasn't upset. She says, I just want to play baseball. You know, how can you not love that? We don't look at her any differently, you know, as she brings it. There's probably not a better second baseman in our division. Ashlyn will showcase her skills next weekend south of the border in Illinois at an all-girls tournament, Baseball for All U.S. Nationals. She was picked up by a team out of San Francisco. I did this one tournament with all girls, and pretty cool. <laughs> She's going to be, uh, you know, different peers and all the girls in a lot of situations as Ashlyn. If she keeps practicing and making plays like this... 
There's no telling how far Ashlyn will go. Erin Strack, Global News. Well, I don't know. She seems like she's got skills to me. Last night, Ashlyn had another dream come true when she met one of her favorite players, Vladimir Guerrero of the Toronto Blue Jays at Rogers Centre. The team posted video of the meeting when Guerrero signed her glove. What do you think? Do you, I, will we see her in your highlights? I think so. Day? I mean, I just love how hard she tries. Isn't yeah. that great? You know, mm. just love the. To me, that's the big thing. Yeah. Just she, give it the effort. Totally. White she caps. goes for it. Oh. Listen, no, I'm just saying. <laughs> I just love the purity of her trying. Like yeah. That. I wonderful. Yeah, go Ashlyn. All right, quick word on the weather before we go. Sure, so your day tomorrow will be mostly dry, even if you have a barbecue plan. But by late evening, that's when we're expecting the rain to come in for a little while. And it's Saturday morning. If you do have a barbecue planned, invite us. <laughs> yeah, have a good night, all.